again good morning to all and Wendy you're going to bring us into the morning good morning everyone beautiful cool summer morning here on the coast so I wanted to um to begin just by locating us in in the book we've been studying, Standing at the Edge, and particularly turning now toward the fifth section of edge states um, and being present for the for the very important, all important edge state of engagement with practice. Um, just to review, just a brief review of some of the teachings that Roshi Joan offers us in in the text, and then an opportunity for us to engage with engagement and um, see what comes up. Right away, I, I woke this morning thinking, what a rich word to engage is. And then, of course, as often is the case for me, wondering, what are the roots of the word engagement? And as um, in studying this morning, I was very moved to realize that the, the primary connection with the, with the word engagement comes from the old word wad or to wed or pledge, to make a pledge, to be in, engaged to, to marry or to plight your troth. Um, the truth of engagement begins with the capacity to pledge and to assume an obligation, a joyful obligation, hopefully, but particularly to turn toward um, pledge and commitment to just find my glasses here so I can read more carefully. Uh, to contract for the services of or to hold the attention of, to pledge, to agree, to interlock or cause to interlock, to mesh. Beautiful to engage and thinking of driving the old trucks at Green Gulch, particularly every time I walk up through Green Gulch, uh, through the fields, I see the old power wagon, which was a gift from Stuart Brand years and years and years ago, now covered with weeds at the very bottom of the field, right near uh, the disc and the ring roller is Stuart's old truck. And I thought of what a marvel it was to drive that incredibly powerful truck and to feel the gauge, excuse me, to feel the gears merge, mesh, and come into engagement and to move forward into deep work. So right away, when I think of engagement, I think of gears meshing and merging and um, marrying (laughs) and moving forward, finding a way to move forward, to entangle, to involve And particularly to involve oneself to become occupied in meaningful work, to enter into conflict, engage in battle, to enter into conflict as well. And this this double meaning of engaging and merging and uh, interacting and moving forward and also finding that uh, we are in conflict and battle right now um, seems particularly meaningful to me. And engagement, Roshi Joan reminds us, engagement is always characterized by energy 
by involvement and by efficacy, the benefit of busyness. One of my favorite parts of this teaching from Roshi Joan is her excitement and energetic um, acclamation and um, just enjoyment of busyness, of true busyness. You have ripened already and are waiting to be brought in, Brother David reminded Roshi Joan in a conversation many years ago. Our job is not to rot on the vine, to use uh, the busyness of our ripening and to use the business of our ripening in efficacious, energetic involvement with the world and to cultivate appreciation, real gratefulness, humor, a curiosity, and a willingness to take risks. You know, um, I love it that in her study of neuroscience, Roshi Joan reminds us throughout this book and more and more in, in our current dialogues of the necessity to um, mobilize all the cells of our body. And immune cells are mobilized so that we can examine and move forward. So willingness to take risk, mobilization of immune cells as with exercise. So is there something about that? Well, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later as we, as we're in conversation. And then as Jean offered us in the, in the uh, encouragement, encouraging words for this session this morning to let the beauty of what we love and be to let the beauty of what we love be what we do. So I, I, again, am very grateful for this uh, tribute to true busyness or the work of the world. I'm thinking about uh, so much comes up just going over these words. And of course, the opposite side, you know, we want to engage in true busyness, but also be mindful of the dangers of addiction to busyness and of our own um, neurotransmitters giving rise to insatiability and more and more consumption out of the thrill of busyness or the sense of self-worth or self-importance if we're overly busy. Um, aggressive haste, calls Herman Hesse talks, poet talks about aggress- the dangers of aggressive haste and being too engaged in aggressive hastiness without really noting uh, the work that reconnects us to life. So let's ask ourselves together what practices can really fuel engagement as we turn toward looking at climate crisis. What practices give us meaningful work as an offering, again, from from, uh, so Ketsu Norman Fisher reminding us that meaningful work is an offering and engagement in meaningful, wholehearted work with leaving no trace is an offering if we turn toward it with a mind that connects to the practice of engagement. Bhavana, cultivating the empty field, cultivating the mind field of practice. And remembering the importance of a couple of points Right livelihood, finding a way to earn our living, to engage in our lives without transgressing our deepest commitment to love and compassion. From Thich Nhat Hanh. 
find a way to earn your living without transgressing your ideals of love and compassion. So the importance of right livelihood as we engage, let's engage in work that is grounded in right or complete livelihood and meditate, meditating inside the life we have. And then the importance of pausing, taking a breath, restarting, refreshing, re-engaging. Sometimes when an engine is overheated from too much work, too much pulling, too much engagement, the only uh, relief that can be had is to completely turn the machine off, completely turn, disengage, grow quiet, pause, take a micro pause, even breath within a breath, even the pause of stopping at a stoplight so we can re-engage with our life in a meaningful way. And Katagiri Roshi saying, find support in that micro pause, in um, find sanctuary and support of the whole universe in that micro pause, turning off the overheated engine and then reigniting, re-engaging. And play, play, play. With my little grandson who's nine, nine months old, yesterday he comes over and we say, Wesley's coming for play, play. We're going to play, play. We're going to play in the empty fields. It's exhausting to play with a baby because they have so much energy and life force and curiosity and openness. I find myself just flattened and also heartened by these play, play days. But play is so important for engagement to drop our usual sense of order and progression, and just play in the empty field. Follow a curious nine-month-old. Son Roshi used to say, ask a baby before she turns three months old, what is Buddha? Before she forgets, engage her. Ask her, what is Buddha? Before she can speak and tell you too much. Give life to life in playing. So these are points that um, that are offered, beautifully offered, in the engagement chapter uh, from Standing at the Edge and, and just offering them and reviewing them, engaging with them before, uh, for our consideration this morning. Thank you, Joan, for the invitation to begin. Thank you. Oh, let's see. I'm going to try and take the... Um, spotlight off of you. Hold on a minute, Wendy's. Okay. Thank you. You know, Wendy and I do not really tell each other what we're going to say or, or speak about, but we end up often having um, crossover uh, ever since we heard the uh, homage to Roger Payne, the biologist who 
brought us the humpback whale songs. I have been carrying this question about uh, what can I do? What can I do? And remembering him answering, I can do whales. So as I am myself, both asking that question and also not going into aggressive new action without really deep consideration. I'm able to turn to that phrase about kneeling on the ground, letting the beauty and love be what we do, and to open to the fact that there are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground, not one way. And we are a Sangha of many ways. But I think we're also at this moment standing at the edge, looking at how do we want to go forward and make this practice for at least the next we're saying to each other, Wendy and I, at least uh, six months um, about meeting climate crisis in a much more particular and personal way, individually and as a group. So every time I read that line about hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground, letting the beauty be what we love and do, it lands directly right here in my heart. And I ask myself, how am I? How am I kneeling and kissing the ground? How am I engaging in beauty and love? And at the same time, vigilant about that the earth is burning, that we are on fire. And it's also drowning as the ice melts. And all of those disparages that I can name that we have all heard. But it is very difficult sometimes not to go numb. We heard this morning from one of our Sangha members, our Dharma sisters in Tucson, Mary Koopman, that the temperature there that they're facing into for the next week is 106 to 110 every day. It's hard not to, in some way, just not be able to comprehend that. But we must stop, and we must look, and we can do it, as Wendy is saying, also in a way of sensitivity, and wakefulness by practicing our different ways together and trying very hard to think up new ways. Many of us at this point in our lives are saying, what's my purpose? What's my fullness? What's ripening in me at this age? None of us young but all of us able-bodied, able-minded, particularly able-spirited. What is ours to do?
So these are the kinds of questions that Wendy and I have been talking about with each other and also along with the offerings and the ideas of Steve and Claire planning for the upcoming July 7th retreat. As an inquiry into our genuine connectedness to and with and for all beings. To share with each other, what are we doing here? We're sitting together, reading, considering, teaching, all of us teaching. We're giving talks, we're having relationships, we're sharing what we love. And perhaps we need to make it more definite about what we're offering in service, something of benefit. What is our work in the world, our service to others? How are we living the Bodhisattva path? This section on engagement is actually my favorite part of the book, especially because it's challenging me to look into the heart of my work. The guiding question of purpose, the asking what's ripening in me. And though it isn't clear yet, I do feel something challenging my current way of being, my current efforts. I look forward to discovering with you in these next months what Roshi Joan calls transparent fullness. Yeah, it's a fancy term maybe, but I think what she's really saying is that the older I get, the more naked I want to be, the more transparent and here and not pretending I don't want to have any more conditional friendships. I don't want to be afraid to say what it is that I feel, even if I'm wrong. I want to be okay more and more with what's falling away from me, not what I'm adding. So I don't see it as a solitary process. I see it as a practice of wonder, a respect and a delight for the kinds of teachings and practices that we're being exposed to. The practice even of imagination as Roger Payne demonstrated, what can I do? I can do whales. That came directly from some sort of divine, some sort of imagination divine. And I feel the honoring of ancestral wisdoms, the the protection of water and earth and wind and sky, as well as the truly fantastic discoveries going on right now, science and medicine, that these things coming together, not separated out, are a path that changes our behaviors that helps us put down all of our consumptive kinds of 
activities, our, our, our numbness, our delusion about what it is that we can't do. Instead, to open up and say, really, really, let's let go. Old ideas, especially the ways we see ourselves, the identity, I am this, I am that. Maybe, maybe you have been that. Maybe you've never been that. It doesn't matter in terms of where you are right now. What matters is that we step into who we really are at this moment, even if it's confused, even if it feels doubtful, even if it doesn't feel strong. We do have each other. And we can let go of the old ideas and offer each other help. But it'll require a serious deep dive into listening. Really listening, receiving ourselves, receiving what's offered, opening to what Roger Payne called the appalling assault of the earth. But hearing then the song, the song of the whales. What can I do? A song of beauty and love. I can't do whales. I can love whales, but I know that's not mine to hold up as a kind of torch. What I see is some sort of collaborative effort at this point, some way of strengthening our ties and our connectedness, of offering service, of doing work together, but not work that feels like a burden. I've done a lot of work that feels like a burden, and I know many of you have too. There's a famous story that Roshi Joan talks about a Zen master, Pai Chang, who lived in the Tang Dynasty, China. And the Tang Dynasty has some real resemblance to what's happening in our world today. And this Zen master, Pai Chang, worked every day, except for the day when his monks, thinking they were doing him a favor, hid his tools. And he was very cross with them, didn't like it at all. He couldn't work, so it meant for him that he couldn't eat. He said, a day of no work is a day of no eating. And he started on a hunger strike. And when the monks finally returned the tools, he made this practice of no work, no eating, into one of the guiding principles of our Zen practice. It was an ethic of engaging, an ethic of being wholeheartedly giving of ourselves the best he could, the best we can in the world. It's not time to give up. So we decided that we would name our retreat, May Our Practice Be for the Benefit of All, because we wanted to bring forward 
a day of service that extends into more days of and different activities of service to really change it up in this next year. We'll be entering our seventh year, beginning of September. You know, we have the garden project that Peter has been establishing and carrying there at the church. We have other kinds of community services that we can engage with, with each other. And we really want to see us go into action in some ways, but thoughtful action, like Wendy's saying. We can pause. We don't have to just start up and go straight. We can start up, pause, start up, pause. We sit, and then we hear the bell, and we stand up, and we walk, and we sit. So in the day we designed, we thought that a day of engagement had to figure out if we possibly could a way to do it with both online and in person. So we know that that's not necessarily always smooth. We know we're technically challenged. But even if you can only be here part of the time, please do try. Please do be with us so that we can hear from each other. What is it that we are holding sacred? What is it we're honoring? What are we kneeling with and kissing the ground? Be forgiving of the hybrid format. (laughs) Even though it's been difficult, we have sustained and actually made more intimacy for ourselves in these last three years. And now as we look forward, trying to figure out what's next, what can we do, Let's really listen, be receptive, not reactive. Let's make sure we don't automatically withdraw or numb ourselves cynically. The news is terrible. There is no getting away from the suffering, the climate, which touches on all the other oppressive activities in the world, how that is not uh, quieting, it's amplifying. But we can't withdraw. We can't expect to do the same things over and over again and do different results. We need to listen and to hear the whales.